0: What is such an honor to to get to be with you guys. I mentioned that in the last service. For those of you who are are new stepping in, um, again, my name is Josh Allen. Just a joy to get to be with you all as we walk through this uh, family summit together. And as I mentioned, kind of in the last uh, service, we often think of kids when we think of family. And we're taking a little bit of a hiatus from our kids. And we're going to look at last service, we really looked at the the marriage aspect, that relationship, and we're going to talk about raising up the next generation as a piece of this, but really even looking more broadly at our own relationship with Christ, because if we're not walking with Jesus, we really don't have anything to give, but when we're walking with him, we have so much to give to that next generation in our homes, and so kind of thinking of it in that term, I want to encourage you if you have your Bibles with you to begin to find a passage of scripture in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, Uh, in just a few moments we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 3 in Isaiah 61. If you have that image of that tree uh, to begin with, I'd love to put that on the screen for just a moment. Um, This is one of my favorite trees. And I'm not one of those guys that's like a botanist, right? If we were to walk outside on the property or kind of look, you guys have a lot of trees in Alabama. I don't know if you realize that. At least, I don't know if all of Alabama is exactly the same. I've been kind of in the southern part and right here. There's trees everywhere, right? I know there's a forest nearby and all that. And if we were to walk through there, I'm not the guy who could look and go, well, that is a, a Japanese myrtle. And over here you have an Asian dogwood and all those things. I'm just, I'm just not that guy. And, and yes, this tree is kind of shapely and all that. It's a nice looking tree. But the reason I love this tree is there's a story behind it. This tree is in a place called Ein Avdat in Israel, and years ago we got to take this this trip and now have the privilege of kind of leading some trips each year from our church as we go and and do these uh, kind of intensive walking trips and, and, and experiencing the word of God come alive in the land that it was Um, you know first revealed as God gave it to his people and so this is a tree in this interesting spot there's a stream you can't see that's somewhat close to this which is why in the middle of the desert which is this is in the very middle of the desert you don't see the other trees around it why this one has thrived and we had walked that morning for about four to five hours in the desert and felt the heat of the desert felt the The intensity of the sun, and yes, we are good Americans, and so we had like the PFG fishing gear on, right, and you got sunscreens and the brimmed hat and all of that, but you still felt the heat of this, and we came to this tree, you step underneath it, and all of a sudden it's like relief right? The sun isn't beating down on you anymore. And, and I learned this the other day. I was listening to this podcast and I found it interesting and kind of a nerd a little bit with this, but um, that trees actually have their own climate system. It's called a microclimate. And the way air pressure works around a tree is that it literally cools as the air gets further down. And so when you're in the shade, it's not just the feeling of the shade from the blocking from the sun, but it almost creates, it does create, this own microclimate that cools you in the midst of it because of air pressure. Trees like this really produce shade, which is protection from the sun, and provide a way for life to happen. I just want you to get kind of that image in your mind for just a second as we're going to read through this passage of Scripture. Scripture. And I'd invite you, if you are physically able, to stand with me for just a moment as we read Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. I don't know if that's a practice you all usually do here, stand. Okay, so, so very familiar with standing to read God's word. Here's what the scripture says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Father, would you speak to us through these words? And again, by your spirit, would you shape us to walk with Jesus faithfully so that we would be transformed by his spirit and by your word? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Normally, in a typical message, and I'm as, as your pastor mentioned, I'm a pastor at a church there in Plano, Texas, that... Um, We would go through a passage and just work through all these verses this morning in light of really this family summit and what we're talking about today. We're going to jump around from time and from place to place. And so when we begin here in this place, there's a reason why we want to start here. This passage of scripture gets mentioned twice in the life of Jesus and these profound moments in his time that he was here, and it's really this beginning of his ministry on earth in the gospels. The first one is in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus is just beginning this ministry, and he walks into the synagogue in Nazareth, which was his hometown. It's not where he was born, but it's where he grew up. He was the young man that, oh yeah, there's young Jesus, right? Now he's come of age, he's He's become somebody, really a rabbi at this point as he begins teaching and he steps into this synagogue and in that time period in the synagogues there was a daily reading or a weekly reading that would have been part of it. And so, so you would have stepped in and there was this place called a Bema stone in the middle and that's where you would have read the text from on this place of authority and there would have been all this celebration and all this around it. Someone uh, who was managing the, the synagogue would have brought the scroll and laid it out and opened it to the reading of the day. And this is the passage that Jesus reads from. And he reads this passage and he completes it then after this. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And in that moment, the people actually get a little bit excited. They're like, oh, look at the young man Jesus. He's grown up and he's become this. And then they begin to realize, and we don't have time to go into the full story. And they end up trying to throw him off a cliff. It doesn't go well from that point. But Jesus, in his sovereignty, walks through the crowd and goes on, and his ministry begins. But this powerful prophetic passage that Jesus says, this is fulfilled in me. Not only there, there's one other time, and it's this John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who is kind of the the guy who is proclaiming this this baptism of repentance this message of repentance out in the wilderness and he's down there doing and some kind of called him a little bit crazy you know wore strange things ate strange things all of that well he's in jail at this point in the story this is Luke chapter seven and he sends his his disciples to go to Jesus and say are you the one because it seems like doubt has kind of crept in in John's mind is Jesus really the Messiah to come and Jesus quotes this passage in another passage, essentially telling him, yes, I am the one who has come. I'm the one that's going to, what we just sang about, set the captives free. I'm the one who's going to provide the peace and the life and the freedom. I'm the one who is going to deal with sin permanently upon the cross. At the end of that passage we read... There's this beautiful verse, or past piece of this verse, that it says that they, I'm just going to read verse 3, the whole verse again. It says, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And here's what it says, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. You know what that tree that was there just a moment ago was it's a terebinth tree a terebinth tree is an oak it is an oak and if we look at psalm 1 1 or psalm 1 and following in that passage in that great psalm it says that it was planted by streams of water so that when the hard times come its leaf doesn't wither why Because as Isaiah would tell us, it is a planting of the Lord. And here's what I want us to see in this picture. Jesus came and when you begin to walk with him, God has designed you to be an oak of righteousness. And here's what that means for the generations that follow you. They're going to get the protection and the shade and the life and the joy and the peace because of your relationship with Jesus as they come underneath and live under you. There's a beauty there and there's a picture there to see this morning because here's what, what really life in Christ begins to look like. Years ago, we started going down this, this journey and this path, as your pastor mentioned, during the first service and associated with a ministry called Legacy Milestones. And Uh, The guy, another guy and I kind of began that, and he really wrote these milestones, which y'all are implementing here. I know milestones one through six of how do you begin to equip the next generation to walk the path? And then he... I began to work under him on our staff, and he said, hey, what what about Milestone 7? Milestone 7, which we called Life in Christ, was really what happens after our kids graduate high school, what happens in the rest of the story and the rest of life. And this became so critical because, again, us as adults, if we're not walking with Jesus, if we're not becoming that oak of righteousness, And we don't have much to offer for the next generation, but when we do, we have the shade and protection that they need to then also become men, godly men and women who are planted by streams of water, who will receive life from the Lord to give to others in that continuing pattern of generational faithfulness. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how do we cultivate habits in our life that will allow us to become the oaks of righteousness that God desires for us to be. So in that second tree picture, if you'll show that up there for just a moment, this is not a real tree, so it's not a favorite tree. Uh, But you can look, and we're going to talk about five faith habits, and really they go in reverse order. And the first faith habit there that you can see is that we abide. We abide. And why is it there in the bottom? Because that's the roots of the tree. That's the roots of you becoming the oak of righteousness God's designed you to be, that it begins in this abiding relationship. That word most notably comes from a passage in John chapter 15, and here's what it says in verses 4 and 5. Abide in me. This is, by the way, Jesus speaking to his disciples, one of the last times he would have with his disciples to speak to them. It's so very important words, and he's saying this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now what does that word abide even mean? It's not something you probably used in the last week, not something I've used unless we're talking about it. Right? It's this word that means remain. It means kind of live into, that you would live into this life with Jesus, that you would remain in Him no matter what happens, no matter what storms come. And again, that tree image in our minds, that we would begin to walk with Him in such a way that we would remain. Well, how do we do that? First of all, we do that through God's revealed Word, we spend time with Him in the Scriptures. I know that's not the first time if you're a part of this church that you've heard that. I'm sure you hear that a lot. But we spend time with God and his word, not because it's some box to check that says I read my daily reading today, but because in this are the words of life, Is it is God's revealed truth. And friends, we absolutely need truth today. You're hearing it in a lot of places, a lot of people's truth. But we have lived and come to a place in our time period now where we say, you know what, I have my truth, you have your truth, I'm going to live my way for my life, you just live your way for your life. And if we were all to do that, like in this room alone, just look around, how many truths are in this room, that's not going to work out real well. And yet, that is what's being not only taught in our lives, that is what is being funneled through our homes, whether it's in the media that we watch, whether it's in the, the media that we read and scroll through, whether it's in the school systems that are teaching our kids, which I hope they're great school systems, not picking on those here, but you understand that is the mantra of our day. And yet, friends, we have truth, lasting truth that will far supersede this moment of craziness in our culture and we can turn to God's revealed word what he said that is timeless and we can glean from it and understand that we remain in that later Jesus says this in John 15 in that same passage he says by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And here's what he says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So how do we remain in the love of God? By knowing his word and walking according to it. The second way we do that is through prayer. We begin this rhythm in our life of prayer. And yes, prayer about ailments, Sickness, struggles, all those kinds of things, but also prayers about big things. When we look into our kids' eyes, prayers that God would use them in a mighty way for his kingdom's sake. Prayers that God would do far more than we can abundantly imagine or think or perceive that they could be a part of. That he's going to do something in them. Prayers that are huge, life-changing prayers for the next generation. And by the way, for ourselves as well. Grandparents, prayers for your grandkids that are far more than God, keep them safe. God, make them dangerous for the kingdom. Use them in mighty ways. We spend time in the scriptures. We spend time in prayer. Again, John 15, right in that same passage says, if you abide in me and my words and you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And it's not Jesus giving a blank check. But when we're abiding with him and walking with him, he aligns our heart to his heart and the things that we pray for are so much in align with the heart of God that he gives us those things. As your pastor said a moment ago, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can learn to live in such a way aligned in the word of God and the works of God that he's going to use me in his purposes to do things that I'm even asking for because it's all aligned in the way that we should go and the way that he would have us go scripture and prayer. So how do I begin to do that? How do I begin to abide? I want to get really practical for a moment. First of all, develop a rhythm. Make an appointment. You probably have either a calendar app or a paper one that you use. So literally put an appointment on your calendar and say, this is the time that I'm going to spend with Jesus every day. Because when we make an appointment, we keep ourselves accountable to those things. So make that appointment. And then what I would encourage you to do is this. Choose some kind of a plan that introduces you to the word of God. Right? For years, my plan has been one that I found, and now it's now on an app, and it takes me to, takes me to four different places I read the scriptures. This year, I'm actually doing a chronological study, which I kind of like, kind of don't, but hey, we're going to finish it out through the year. It's all God's great word. Don't get me wrong. It's just the plan and the style of it. But choose a plan that you would begin to walk through. Half of this year is almost done. Would you say if you were to look to that New Year's moment, you're walking with Jesus more faithfully because of the time you spent with him. Well, now's the time to jump in, to become that oak of righteousness God had for you, to spend time in the scriptures and prayers. So find that plan. And the third thing is then read read the scripture and pray through it. There's a great acronym that, this is not me by any means, it's borrowed through years and years called SOAP. I don't know if you all have ever talked about SOAP before. But SOAP is simply this, that you read the scripture, S for scripture, you take look at observations. So if you're writing these down, kind of journaling type deal, what observations do I see? There's application, then how does this apply to my life? And then P is I pray through that scripture, the Holy Spirit would give me the strength to live it out. Very simple, you don't have to use it, but it's a great way just to begin digesting and intaking God's word into your life. So we abide. The next passage of scripture I want to share is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You probably have heard this passage before, but it's the second faith habit. So if you put that script that um, picture up one more time, the second faith habit then is you begin to think beyond the roots. And as those roots grow strong in your relationship with Christ, that second is really the trunk of that tree. And it's we trust and follow. We trust and follow. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. It's this idea that we begin, when we begin to trust and follow Jesus, if you've ever watched a tree grow, you know the trunk grows very slowly. But it's critical to the branches, uh, to the fruit, if it's a fruit-bearing tree, to all the things that would happen up top, this trunk and the stability of it. The roots are critical, which then turns this trust and follow to a critical place. And you say, what does that even look like? Well, it's faith and obedience. Jesus over and over and over again with his disciples would emphasize what it means to have faith and obedience to believe. Several times Jesus would say, oh, you of little faith. And he wasn't, he wasn't making fun of them. He wasn't trying to say something negative about them, but instead calling them up to believe. Because in the Hebrew sense, faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You don't, parse those out and have faith over here and yet your life never follows in obedience they're two sides of that same coin And so when you believe then you begin to walk in that path and, and God begins to shape you and move you in those things and so what does that look like practically well it's trusting and following it's having the substance of your faith and how do you discern God's ways then in every decision that comes listen to that passage trust the lord with all your heart and again in that mind it would have been in that time period it would have been your mind your heart the volition the will of your life trust the lord with all your heart and you got to ask that question of yourself first do i really trust him do i trust him enough for my salvation but do i really trust his ways for my daily life trust the lord with all your heart and then it says, and lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because we are so good at fooling ourselves, aren't we? We're so good at convincing ourselves. You know, I, I read this in the scriptures. I was reading this this morning. My life doesn't really align with that. But I, surely that was just contextual for then. Surely that doesn't mean God really wants me to do that now. With all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. What does that mean? It means in everything that you do, every decision that you make, don't just say, okay, God, I acknowledge you're here in this. But God, do you really want me to change jobs? God, do you really want our kids to go to this school? You saw that video in the first service. Do you really want us to engage in this process of adoption? I have a 17-year-old, and we're walking through this path, of, this path of, of college choosing and all of that right now. And, and so, first of all, we're trying to trust the Lord for that financial sticker shock, right, that you get with the college world. But, but not only that, but my daughter's really really working through this. And it's this battle of are you seeking God's will for your story, or do you just really like green and gold, right, because she's going, looking at Baylor. My wife and I both went to Baylor. Sorry, we, we live in a whole different world. I know this is SEC territory and, um, and all of that. And there are a few schools around here that are successful in sports and things like that. But, but you get it, right? So we're in a different world in context of that. And so what does God want? In all your ways acknowledge him. And then it says this, and he will make your path straight. There's imagery all throughout the scriptures. It's path imagery. And path imagery um, is because in their context... It was a very concrete picture that when you're following Jesus, you're walking the path. And literally so many times, and especially in the Proverbs, it says, don't let your foot turn to the left or to the right. Why? Because it's deadly when you turn to the left or to the right. You're getting off the path and the Lord will make your path straight. So here's the promise of God in that. And this, this is a proverbial statement, but trust God in this, that when you're acknowledging him and putting him in your decisions, he's going to lead you in the way that you should go. And then when you walk in those ways, what you'll find is you trust him and your faith grows. And you trust him and your faith grows. And you trust him and your faith grows. And 20, 30, 40 years from now, you're going to look back in your life and go, look what God has done. We trust and follow. The third thing is this, we make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the church, we call this the Great Commission. It is this moment where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, This is what you're to be about. Go and make other disciples. We see it repeated in various different places. And so one of the first things we have to understand when we begin to bear fruit then on that tree, right? We've talked about the roots. We've talked about this trunk that's growing as we trust him more and we're following him more now. The rest of our life really is about looking out to others and bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Which fruit in the context of John 15, that abiding passage is people, That we're making disciples, that we're living our lives in such a way that's making a difference in the lives of others. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, we share the gospel. Let me ask you this. Do you know the gospel? If you're talking with somebody, do you have that 15-second story where you're stirring coffee at that little bar area at Starbucks or wherever it is, and you're putting creamer and getting it just right where it's, you know, the color of your skin and all of that, because it's the good way, that's the way my son drinks his coffee, right? And could you share your story just so quickly? You know, I used to be, there was a time in my life when I was self-centered and I didn't have any direction. And then I encountered the love of Jesus and he changed me. And now I have purpose and meaning in my life. Hey, do you have a story like that? No, you don't. Can I just can I draw something for you and share with you a story like that? In our church, we use what's called the three circles. You may have heard of it before, but it just, it's just a means and a measure to share the gospel. But is it on your lips? Is it something that regularly you think about connecting the conversations that you're having? Because God's called you to go and make disciples. And friends, if you've ever come to this point in your walk with Jesus where it feels stale, where church just feels like something you go to, here's one promise I will make to you. Begin to share your faith. And when God begins to transform lives using you in that process, you'll never taste that staleness again. Because that's what we're designed to do. But somehow we get in this place where it becomes all about us, and we're meant to bear fruit. We're meant to have these moments where we share the gospel, where we make disciples. And so that's where it begins. But then the second piece of making disciples is we teach truth. And I want to camp here for just a moment because the beginning of the first service this morning, uh, Cody read Deuteronomy 6 4 through 9, which again is this, uh, if you hear the first part of it, this Shema, this statement of faith for the nation of Israel. And it was this statement of saying, we believe in the one true God here Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one every other faith was polytheistic at that time had worship multiple gods and so is this moment of distinction we believe our God is the one true God God over all the earth and then he says and then love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul all your strength these words are to be upon your hearts which is what we're talking about that that life that we live, the five faith habits in, in our relationship with life in Christ. And then it says, impress them on your children. Teach of them when you walk along the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And if you notice in that context of that scripture, if you were to look it up later, and you can read through it, uh, really seven through nine. It gives very practical ways that you would impress faith to the next generation. The Jewish people took this very Literally. And so I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of an Orthodox Jewish person. Um, They often have a box on their forehead, right? That's called a phylactery box. And they have slidden some piece of scripture in there or a prayer in there and they have it on their forehead because it looks like in that passage, if you were to take it very literally, that's what you do. They wrap these straps around their arms, this teflon around their arms. And as they're doing that, they're praying. And they would genuflect often if it looks like this, right, as they're praying. Because they took that very specifically. If you were to go even today in a hotel room in Jerusalem or in Israel, there's a little thing, a mezuzah on the door. And what you're designed, supposed to do is you kind of kiss the mezuzah, which holds the scripture in there. Because you put it on your doorposts and on your gates. There's a funny moment. Um, I'll just go ahead and share this. I was The first trip I was going to Israel, we, um, we flew on El Al, which is the Israeli airline. And I had, somebody had said, hey, I'd never flown international flight quite that far. And so they were like, hey, um, you, you should really take an Ambien. It'll help you sleep on the plane. But I would only encourage you to take half an Ambien because I don't, I don't deal well with a lot of like drugs um, even the prescription kind, so, um, so they like took cut half an Ambien in it. And, and by the way, don't ever take half an Ambien unless you know for sure how you're going to respond. Because for me, it just made me half asleep the whole flight. It was miserable. So I'm laying there. You know, you're trying to sleep. You can't get comfortable because there's people next to you. Inevitably, they smell and all of that. So, so laying so sitting on this flight, and so I'm half asleep. And in this moment, the sun is beginning to rise outside. And all of these Orthodox Jewish people at the same time get up and begin heading towards the exits of the plane. We're we're midair, like over the ocean. And I'm like, this is not going to end well. And of course, I'm in half this stupor going, everyone's rushing the plane, you know. And you're you're like, help, help, you know, call the... And then what I realize they're doing is it's sunrise and so they're doing their prayers. That's the only place to stand on the plane. We were saved. But they take it literally and for us to take literally training the next generation. Because the beauty is this, you have this path that God is calling you to walk. And as long as you have kids at home or grandkids that you get to influence, it's like you're taking their hands and walking them down their path until it's time to release them into where they're supposed to go into their life in Christ. And here's what that looks like. I'm gonna give you three specific things. First is faith talks. What are faith talks? Intentional times, once a week, at least once a week, that you're speaking and talking about having a conversation around the Word of God where you're teaching truth to your kids in the next generation. Now, that looks different when kids are different ages. I have, uh, my kids are 17, 15, and almost 13, or 13 in a few months And so for us, that looks really different. It looks a lot more like buying, and we have a lot of Starbucks near us, so I hate to use that as a constant illustration, but it seems like we're constantly there. So that's like date moments that I have with one of my daughters or both of them at the same time or when I'm with my son, and we begin to have these conversations much more in the flow of life. We capture at least three meals a week. We've said this is what we're gonna do in our home. We're gonna have three dinners a week together where we actually sit around the table and we talk about things. We talk about what's going on, and and I get eye rolls all the time. Like we even called it for a while, meaningful Mondays. And so I would bring like some scripture that I had thought, yeah, absolutely. Y'all are rolling your eyes at me right now. I get it. I feel it in this moment. And my 17 year old who was 16 and 15 and all that, she just uh. and we push right through it, right? Because we're going to talk about things that matter. We're going to talk about faith. And so we have faith talks. Then you capture God moments. What are those? Those are moments when God shows up in the life of your kids. These are unplanned moments, but they're really critical. These moments when they come home and the emotions are running high and you realize this doesn't need to be a conversation of how bad school is or how bad this teacher is. Something deeper is going on and God wants to speak to it. Capturing God moments in the life of your kids. And then the third thing is you celebrate milestones. So as these milestones continue to roll out in the life of your church, I think it was a couple weeks ago, y'all had high school graduation. And on our mother's day, we always do parent and child dedication, had all these kids and these parents make this commitment to say, hey, we're gonna raise them in the way that they should go. We're gonna have faith be a part of that story in our journey. We're celebrating milestones, walking them down this path because they need to see these milestones in their journey. Our girls now, we're about to walk to high school graduation. We just walked through Rite of Passage, which is Milestone 5, with our um, oldest one and our middle one both. Before they receive the keys to the car, we want to give them the keys to life and really this life in Christ. And so we begin to talk about specific things around those. We got to sit down, my wife and I both did, uh, with our three kids and preparing for adolescence, which is Milestone 3, and then Milestone 4, Purity for Life. We've gotten our girls, walked through that. And so there is nothing more... Uh, frightening than sitting down with my son and talking about the birds and the bees. It was very exciting. We went for a walk, but before we did that, we got, there's a place called Lane's Chicken near us. So we got chicken fingers and we both sat in the back of my car, had the tailgate open. And of course we're facing forward because in the conversation, men don't look at each other, especially when it's an awkward conversation, Right. And so he's a little man. I'm a bigger man. And so I'm like, "Hey, Joe, I want to talk to you about this." And we walk through this. I had a book that I'm looking at. Like, hey, it's just gonna make sure I'm hitting all the things I need to, and all that. Do you have any questions? Lord, please don't let him have any questions. <laughs> and he had a few, and we talked through them. It's not the end of that journey. It's the beginning of it. Why does that matter? Because now when he has a question, guess who he comes to? It's his mom and I. And he doesn't go to his friends who are not going to tell him godly things typically. And he's got some great friends. But you know how boys are, especially sixth grade boys. Oh Yeah, we think we figured this out. No, you haven't. So he comes to us and we get to impress truth upon him that's going to matter for his entire life. That's why you have faith talks. It's not because their lives change in that moment. I can remember when our kids were little and I remember this one moment specifically. We had these little devotional books we were walking through and they were preschoolers at this point, like two, three years old. And like, I thought I may have preached the greatest sermon to preschoolers ever in that moment to my little three-year-old daughter. The other one was one. And so at the end of it, I was like, oh, it was, just, it was like perfect, quick, but at the same time, so meaningful. And, and I was like, Josie, do you, do you understand what daddy's talking about? And, and she was like, Daddy, what is that cat in the picture in this story? And that was the end of our faith talk. Like, in that moment, it was like, did anything go in, right? We have had faith talks that, I kid you not, end in spanking our children. And you feel like a failure as a dad. But it's not always in that moment. It's that you're establishing the authority in your home. And the question I get asked more often than not is, listen, I've got teenagers, we've never done this before, what do we do now? Or I've got grandkids and I've never done this before, what do I do now? You press into the awkwardness and you own it. And you look at your kids and you say, hey, listen, we've never done this before, it's going to feel weird. It feels weird to me, but I love you enough that I want us to spend time over God's word together because this is what changes us through the work of his spirit in us. So we make disciples, we teach truth. And by the way, the more you talk about it, I had a pastor who who used this phrase and I love this phrase. The more you talk about it, the more it becomes spiritually natural and naturally spiritual. Because God's word isn't meant to be some weird thing we put on a shelf and then just take off on Sunday mornings. It's meant to actually guide every aspect of our lives. Last thing I will say about This make disciples especially at home. Again, think long game. This is for the long haul. Disciple making doesn't happen overnight. It's coming back at it again and back at it again and back at it again and continuing to talk about the truth of scriptures, continuing to point them to Jesus. Some of the best moments conversations I've ever had with my kids is when I look at them and say, I'm really sorry that I messed up a minute ago. I'm really sorry that I got frustrated and angry and didn't respond well. I'm really sorry that I didn't handle this situation. Isn't it good that we have a perfect God? And I'm sorry that I messed up as a dad and didn't reflect him in that moment, but isn't it good that we go to a perfect God and we have forgiveness there? And we point him back to him. Because it's what we're trying to do along the way. It's the long game. The fourth thing when we think about our relationship with God and walking with him is we live generously. We live generously. Now what does that mean? Well, I think if there's a a passage of scripture that captures this, I don't know, better than any other, but really well. It's Luke chapter 10 and it's Jesus telling the story of this guy named the Good Samaritan. That's who we kind of coined him as, the Good Samaritan, right? And we think Samaritan now, and we think uh, that's a great thing. The Good Samaritan is, I mean, there's even non-for-profit ministries named after the Good Samaritan, right? Samaritan's Purse and all of these different, different organizations. But when you would have said the word Samaritan when Jesus brought that up, it would have brought this like knee-jerk reaction of, are you kidding me? You're bringing Samaritans up? They were hated and Jesus is making this point of what it looks like to live generously, and just to recount the story quickly. So Jesus is telling this to his disciples. He's getting quizzed by lawyers and all that, and here's his response, basically, of what it means to be a neighbor, of who your neighbor is. And he says, There's these, "There was this guy that was going on the road from uh, the road to Jericho, and he was robbed, beaten and left there for dead." Right, and then three people were going to pass by. The first was a priest. And the scripture says he was coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he looks over and he just walks right by him. And then a Levite comes who's kind of in that priestly class. And he comes by and he walks by him. So Jesus is obviously making the point there's a religious aspect to this. And these guys are ignoring the guy. And, and sometimes you hear little commentators that will write little, I don't mean it like that. I mean, commentators that will write little statements that are like, well, maybe they were heading up to Jerusalem and so they didn't wanna defile themselves. Well, the scripture's pretty clear, you're going down. And in the scripture, when it says you're going down, you're leaving Jerusalem. You're always going up to Jerusalem because it's elevation and that's where the house of God is. And you always approach the house of God ascending. And so they're coming down. So they just walk right by him. And then this Samaritan, this hated guy shows up and listen to what he does in the story. It says this, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Now, just to think how much that cost him in the moment. I'm not talking about financial cost. Now when we live generously, there is a financial cost, not a cost. There's a financial joy that we get to worship God and to live as stewards of what he's given us and not owners of it. Stewards have hands open, owners have hands closed. But listen to what he says, because the first thing we do to live generously is we bless others in the mess of life. We bless others in the mess of life. That means we're ready and life is messy. This guy was physically a mess, bleeding, Really dying on the ground. And here's what it says He went up to him and he bound his wounds. He got right in the middle of it. He's the one who bound his wounds. Now think about that for a moment. Pouring on oil and wine. That means oil and wine that cost him something that he had, he pours it on him. And then it says he set him on his own animal, which means he gets off the animal if he was riding it. But whatever, he puts him on his own animal. And brought him to an inn to took care, and took care of him. He brings him to the inn. He goes into the room or wherever he's staying, and he's the one who begins to deal with his wounds and all of that to take care of him. And then it says this. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. What does that mean? He spent the night with the guy. You talk about living generously, right? He stepped into that mess and began to bless this guy. He poured out his own life in the midst of that and took care of him and then arranged for him to continue to be taken care of until he comes back through again. Friends, that's what it looks like when we step into the mess of one another's lives, to live generously with our time, our energy, our resources. Second thing I would say from that very passage is this, live ready to give. Not only step into the mess of it, and yes, some of these have these little kind of rhymey things. Sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes it happens that way. Live ready to give. Third from that, Luke 10.35, it says, the next day he took out those two denarii. The third thing is this, enter the interruptions. Oftentimes, God interrupts our lives, and we look at them as interruptions instead of the opportunity to engage in ministry. Typically, God doesn't interrupt us when we have spare time. Right? Have you ever gotten sick and you're like, you know, this was a really great time for me to get sick? I appreciate that. Right? This was a great time for the car to die. Thank you, Lord, for allowing everything else to be cleared on my schedule. No, it doesn't work that way. The interruptions are those moments where we get to recognize we're not in control. And life really isn't about us. That we're part of a greater story. And those interruptions are God's blessing in reminding us of that, that we get to step into the lives of others. And the last thing from that story would be this, that we sincerely serve. Not serve half-heartedly. He was all in. The final faith habit this morning to look at is simply this, that we would engage in biblical community. I heard, talked about connect groups connecting with others in this life in christ we were meant to do this life together scripture over and over and over again calls god our father right jesus when he taught his disciples to pray our father and then we become the adopted sons and daughters of the king we sang about it earlier we were beggars and now we're royalty sons and daughters of the king which means guess what you are brothers and sisters in christ That we're designed to do this life together. There's so many passages, scriptures we could go to. The easiest one is Acts chapter 2. Listen to this description of the early church in verses 42 and following. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were together or who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you know what transformed the Roman world? for Christianity, that. It wasn't powerful preaching. It wasn't powerful music. It wasn't really amazing children's ministries and student ministries. Not that any of those things are bad. It was community lived with one another. Because imagine this for just a moment. You're growing up in Rome and you are in a caste system. And what that means is you're either in one of these basically four strata and there's no hope for you to advance in this life. You're always going to be poor if you're born that way. You're always going to be in the aristocracy if you're born that way and everything that falls in the middle. And yet imagine for a moment... This Christianity Christianity thing has come into your town and you're hearing this this weird brother-sister talk and all of that. And you walk into this home and gathered in this home is this home church. And you look across the room and there's a guy who's a literal slave. And he's sitting right next, right next to the guy who actually is the one who owns him. And then right next to him is one of the politicians of the day, then right next to him is a kid, then right next to him is someone else and you walk in and what you realize quickly is everyone is equal at the table. And the power of Christ transformed, not only just a community and cities throughout the Roman Empire, but it transformed an empire because of the way people loved one another because they gathered together and shared their lives with one another. And the world looked on and said, I don't understand that kind of love, but I want it. And they found it in Jesus Christ. And they found it in the community that he gave, because they were devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread. They were dependable in their rhythm. Day by day, they gathered as the church. Just to say it this way, too. You are gifted. God has gifted you to use your gifts to benefit the others in the body of Christ. And you got to connect with others to do that. And you need the gifts of others. You need the gifts of others in your life. Couples, you need other couples in your life. You need mentors who are going to look at you and call you out as you walk this journey. You need mentors who are going to pull you up and encourage you at just the right moment. We abide, we trust and follow, we make disciples, we live generously, and we engage in biblical community. And I want to leave you, if I can, with this picture. Wherever you are in your stage of life right now, imagine one day, it's Thanksgiving, you are the great grandma or grandpa, and everyone's gathered at your home. And as you're sitting there maybe in a chair and you're watching your kids, your grandkids, your great grandkids running across the room and all of that, do you have that image in your mind? One of the last things you're gonna care about that moment is how many championships Alabama's won, or what kind of car you drive, how much money you have in your retirement accounts, What you're gonna care about in that moment is to my great kids, grandkids love Jesus because of the home that we got to shape for our kids that has now been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And I hope what you see in that moment because of your faithfulness to walk with Jesus is that you have become an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. And now the generations are benefiting because you chose today to live differently. Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you for the joy it is to experience this life. That you chose in your kindness and goodness to create us. But not only that, you still saw us in our sinfulness and in our selfishness and in our pride. And when we chose to go our own way as all of us did, the scripture says, you saw us in that and you loved us enough to redeem us. And Father, your love didn't even stop there because not only do you redeem us, but you continue to shape us and to mold us and to make us into the image of Jesus in this life to build us as this oak of righteousness. And Father, would we have the courage to step into that? Father, I pray for every person in this room that they would experience the joy and the peace and the love that you pour out as we walk with you in faithfulness. And Lord, I just pray especially for the generations that will come from those in this room. Lord, would you you build mighty men and women of God who generations from now would faithfully worship in this church and so many others. Because parents and grandparents had the courage this afternoon to begin having faith talks with their kids. To capture God moments. And to walk the path that will lead to transformation generation after generation. So, Father, we ask for that. We thank you for it. And for your goodness and grace today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Uh, I'm here with uh, Phil and Cindy Bussey, and this is um, this is amazing to me. Um, Phil, Cindy, I know that I've talked to you guys over the past uh, years and months. I know Cody has uh, called on you guys several times, and we really uh, look to you guys as uh, godly parents and as people who have um, raised their children uh, right, um, and just because you, you've I might have said that doesn't mean that your children are perfect, or no one's children is perfect. No one's family is perfect. We're not going to set this this uh, imaginary facade of um, everything's just peachy because that's not that's not what that's not what it is. But I do believe I do believe that you have done a great job, and so um, I just want to come to you today, at a family meeting, and like explain to us, you know. What, why you did what you did? Because now you've you've raised uh, two wonderful kids um, who are uh, graduated high school, in college, about to graduate college, um, and so you you've you're you're still continuing to parent. You're you're able to enjoy uh, the fruits of that. And so, um, just explain kind of what you did. You know, how was it throughout your years and. Um, and where you guys are now. So, well,
2: first of all, it's all God. Yeah. It's nothing we've done, and He's just blessed us. You know, He's blessed me with a wonderful wife, a godly woman, a good career, two good kids, and I guess for me, it has to. I have to kind of go back to when I was a child, how it started. My dad was a deacon. Uh, my dad was very strict no nonsense you can ask Cooper Turner he knows well how he was and I was actually a drug baby I was drugged to church every time the doors was open and 85% of the whippings I got it's a wonder I'm even in church was for something I did in church (laughs) either talking running falling asleep I even got a whipping for being too fidgety Hmm. my dad was no nonsense when I say that I mean you know it's that way and that's where I grew up. And then, you know, my dad died when I was 15, and the church family took me in. I mean, I still had my mom, but she was a stay-home mom, kind of, but the church was a big part of my life, and as well as Cindy's, too. And uh, they just kind of took me in, and we had some great mentors and stuff like that, you know, Gary and Linda, and, Cindy's mom and dad, you know, yeah. you know they, they took over there. So that's where I started from. And for having kids, you know, we watched Gary and Linda raise theirs. And we become really good friends. We traveled a lot together. We hiked. We did a lot together. And then after his kids got on older, we still did that when our kids come along. i tell you, the first time that I really realized that you can teach a kid to do what you want to do And y'all know Scott and Pat. And if you've ever been to Pat's house at Christmas, she loves figurines, Christmas, all kind of Santa Claus. I was sitting here like this on the couch in her living room and I had an end table like that sitting here. And we were just talking. I just reached over and grabbed, you know, fidget playing with it. And Alex was probably, what, two, maybe three at the most, come over and grabbed it out of my hand and sat back down. he said, no, you can't play with that. He, they had taught him, they didn't put nothing up. Yeah. They left everything out. They just taught him not to mess with stuff. Yeah. And I said, hey, I'm gonna do that to my kids. But see, I didn't know you could do that because all I'd been around was Blake Snyder when he was little. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know he could do that. So it was just, that's how it kind of started.
1: And then, I don't know, we just, just discipline. So you learned, you learned from, from watching other people in mm-hmm. the church raise their kids. And, uh, and they and,
3: helped us raise our kids. When I say they were mentors, they absolutely were. Yeah. I mean that's that's how I see Gary and Linda, and our kids love them and mm-hmm. respect them, and you know the life they live. Yeah. Um, and
2: I'll tell you one thing: we was in a restaurant uh, with Gary and Linda, and Layton did something I told him not to do. And we've never been a parent that snatches up and beat them in front of everybody and all that. And yeah. you know you don't. I don't think you do that. So I told him, I said, son, you're going to get a whipping for that. So when we got to the cabin, I took him in the back room and I gave him a spanking. Yeah. Later, me and Gary were sitting around outside talking. He said, <coughs> he said, son, I'm proud of you. I said, what? He said, you told eight not to do that. If you did, he's going to get a spanking. Yeah. And you followed through with it. He said, always say what you mean yeah. and do it. And that's what we kind of live by. I mean, they got a lot of spanking. And I used a bell.
3: But I think we felt like if we set that standard for them when they're little, then you don't have to continue to yeah. do that. They remember that. Yeah, they do. And, and I, we, they got very few spankings. Very, very few. Spanking.
2: You could look at them. You know, I could give them that look yeah. like my daddy gave me, and I knew, hey, that's it. But I think by... Six, seven, I think they've done, kind of got their basic down, and I'll give you one example. Cindy don't like this example, and she didn't know I was gonna say this, but Landry was one, or well, she was less than that, she was in a carrier. Okay. Layton was probably two and a half or three, and we was coming up the breezeway from the educational into the new sanctuary there, and then big double doors. Well, I'm sure I was in some kind of important deacon meeting or something like that, reason I wasn't helping her, you know, something like that. But Leighton runs around her and gets under her to open the door and she don't see it. And she snatches the door open and slashes him open and we go to the emergency room. But just at three years old, he knows that he need to go open yeah. the door. And he, to this day, he still opens the door. Anytime he can for somebody, he'll open the door and let him in. And I just think it's engraved in him in young age. I know a lot of a lot of parents say, Well, I can't whoop him, you know. What I mean? They're, they don't need a friend when they're that age. Yeah. They need a parent and a discipline. And thank goodness now we have friends. Yeah. I mean, Layton me and him work together every day. Cindy and Landry, if they go somewhere, it's them two together. Yeah. Now we have the friends.
3: As they get older, though, oh, I know. you model. You want to model. You want to be the model for them. You want to live the life that you're trying to teach them to live in front of them. Yeah. And you got to be consistent with that. Hmm. And if you, I mean, you've got to be honest about things. you got to be honest about your business. You know, they need to see you doing the right thing. Yeah. And my kids might tell you that we were, I think they would. And now, even in the moment, they thought we were really strict. And I think we probably were compared to, you know, maybe what some of their friends were doing. Yeah. They didn't get to do everything that their friends got to do. But looking back, I think they would also tell you now that they get it. Yeah. You know, you've got to shelter their young, impressionable minds while you, you can. They're mm-hmm. not ready to to know everything that goes on in the world. Okay. Uh, I don't even want them to know it now. Yeah. But, you know, now I think hopefully they're a little more developed and they can handle and make their own decisions.
2: But I think Cindy agreed, like, say, after, you know, them getting in trouble and spanking, the best hug you ever get is about 30 minutes to an hour after that. Yeah. And they come hug you.
3: And they never and say, wondered, I love you, Right. And they never wondered if we were on Sunday morning, if we were going to church right. or not. It never was. I, I've heard, you know, stories about that before and it was never a question. There was never a question. You know, they were there from the time they were little and I hope they keep doing that. And my heart breaks looking now at Landry trying to form friendships because there's no one there her age.
1: It's disheartening. It really is. It breaks my heart. Yeah. Um,
3: so I want them to be though I want them to be strong and, you know, convicted and you know, and just but faithful.
2: I and mean, the discipline again is. I know you don't want to spank your kid, but you have to. Uh, Tony Snyder and I have the same thoughts on out. Yeah. All it does is give a kid long enough to sit over in that corner and get madder and mad and madder yeah. at you. And when you can spank them and let them think about it and I don't
3: well, know. And I, we are, we and are not authorities. Mm-mm. So what works for one may not work for everybody else. Yeah. That's just what we did.
1: And I think that really, I mean, kind of to sum up really what you guys have said, um, even from the get-go, the church, um, people when they come into church and when they, when they surround themselves with this community, they're not looking for friendly people. They're looking for friends. They're looking for people that they can go to and say, Hey, I'm having a really hard time with my son or my daughter. What did you do to, to get and Like you become friends and you build that friendship that, uh, Gary and Linda, um, I was blessed and honored to be a part of, of Gary's life. And, uh, Gary is, is one of the ones that helped me, uh, pursue ministry. And I'll never, um, I'll never forget, uh, what he is, what he has done for me and how Linda and them, uh, set me up to be where I'm at today. I never, um, never would imagine me being in this, this spot, but it was people like that. He was yes. not just being friendly, but being a friend. Yes. And, um, that's yes. what the church needs. Yeah. But you got to keep your kid involved. Yeah. I mean, like she said,
2: we've had people come ask us and when they were growing up, we'd say, you know, where's so-and-so? Oh, he didn't want to come today. I said, yeah. you know, I didn't have a choice. Why ain't he going on youth group? Oh, he didn't want to come. Yeah. And then later in life, but I hate to say it, I saw those go away. And But our kid has never begrudged. They've always enjoyed coming to church. Yeah. We've always had a good kids program. We've always had a good youth
1: program. And they just enjoy coming to church. Cindy, is there anything uh, that you can give um, advice for girl moms who are out there? Mm, wow. Yeah, that it, that
3: one's definitely different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for some reason, girls are, you know, drama-based, yeah. but um, you, sometimes you have to have those hard, hard conversations with your child, and they didn't want to, and I didn't either. Yeah. You know, it was, there were just hard situations that, um, you know, there's peer pressure involved, and you they just have to recognize their worth outside of popularity or... I don't know whatever kids are trying to achieve in school yeah. um, and it sometimes it's face-to-face and like I said it's not something they want to do either yeah. it's not a conversation they want to have we've had some hard conversations but I think that's so important too I mean you have got to address them yeah. you got to talk about it and they need to be feel like they can tell you what they're feeling and I think for outside of prayer for my kids, which I started, you know, and I mean, it enhances your prayer life when you have kids, no question. Um, I prayed for them, but I prayed for me that God would guide me and how to get them through, you know, situations and uh, hormones or whatever the issue was at the moment. You tell know. them
2: what you tell them. You told them every day since you started dropping them off at pre K. Well,
3: Landry even used it in her her speech at school, but it was. I mean, they're just three things. I love you. Have a good day. Make good choices. Yeah. Because they were, it was explained that there are consequences to your choices. And they can be good. Mm -hmm. But they can also be bad. And you're going to deal with those consequences. Whether it's your discipline from us or, you know, repercussions in school, whatever. Um,
2: And we weren't like that.
3: I didn't do it. I was was just with
2: them. I You're guilty by association, so make good choices. Know who you with, know who your friends are, and know what they're doing. So, but for young parents, don't try to have fun with your kids. Sure, I, we had a lot of fun, yeah. but they don't need you as a friend.
1: But now we have two friends. Yeah, It's awesome. And y'all do, y'all really do. Well, this is my encouragement to you guys, and we'll end with this. Um, you you did mention several people in your life that poured into y'all, and my, and now y'all have done the same. For so many other families, and let me encourage you to continue. Be the next Linda and Gary Cockle. Like, be uh, the next people that that. And you guys are—that's the amazing thing. You that's guys so already are. I know. That's I know. So impossible. Um, they are. Uh, they are absolutely um, lovely. And just to still be able to talk to Linda and hear her uh, instruction and her wisdom is is amazing. But that's where you guys come in and continue that legacy. Continue. Pouring into people and being friends with, with other parents who are struggling right now, just as like we are, uh, and other parents out there. Um, you are doing an amazing job. You've done an amazing job raising your kids. I know your kids are not perfect. No one's, no one's are. Um, but uh, I think, my personal opinion is, you've got two great kids, and uh, I pray that, that my children uh, turn out uh, as good as y'all's. So, thank you so much. And uh, Cindy, Phil, is there anything that y'all like to say? Yeah, uh, don't to ever me to do anything like this with you. <laughs> yes this is it. You know, this <laughs> is actually the last This is the last uh, family meeting video. So um, you're in church right now and holding everybody over. I just wanted you to know that. No, <laughs> don't be first. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to be
2: long-winded because I have to tell Cody every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, thank y'all so much. And uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to do in y'all's life. So thanks, John, for what you do.